You're listening to Fit Girl, your guide to getting in shape, the podcast dedicated to helping you separate fact from fiction in fitness. Stop struggling and learn what really works to get the body you want and keep it. For more details about this podcast and other episodes, visit fitgirlpodcast.com. This is podcast episode number 255. In this episode, harmful exercises you should avoid, carbs to change your body, and how to get to your goals faster with a view of yourself. So I hope you've had a chance to check out the new Strong and Powerful podcast. It's on iTunes and Podbean and Spotify and a few of the other ones. So please look for it and let me know what you think. So as I was saying the introduction, I realized that the part about motivation, um, the taking time to view yourself, doesn't really make as much sense as it does to me just because I've been working on this section. So I figured I'd start with that just so that, you know, you can know what I'm talking about. Basically, it's how do you view yourself? And it's taking time for self-awareness, which is also working on your self-image. And how you see yourself is going to dictate how well you're going to be able to do different things. If you already see yourself as somebody who doesn't like to exercise, then yeah, that's the way your subconscious mind is going to push you to be. So if it's not in tune with your subconscious, it's going to fight and you're going to just never get where you need to be because you're just not that cohesive unit that your mind, subconscious mind and body are supposed to be. So how do we fix that? Well, every day for about a week, write down three things about yourself, three positive ways you view yourself. And even think about writing down two or three of your outstanding qualities. And I hate to say, sometimes it takes longer to think of this than it actually should. Sometimes it's easier to go ahead and identify these things in other people than it is ourselves. But it is very important, and your self-image is so crucial to your success in everything. Because keep in mind, how you see yourself is either positive, negative, it could be a combination, but either way, we want it to be positive so that it can drive you towards doing great things. And since your subconscious aligns with your thoughts and drives your actions to fulfill how it sees yourself, or I guess that would be you see yourself, it's very important to know, well, where you're starting. So your subconscious mind and your conscious also want to be in agreement. They want to be unified. You probably don't even realize this is going on inside your head because it's on a different level, but it is. And that's why self-image is such an important thing. And unfortunately, there's so many people that have been affected by negative outsiders or just reinforcement or just bad things that a lot of people just don't have the right self-image or a good self-image. And when you have a good self-image, everything else falls in line. Your self-esteem is high. Your, your confidence is high. Um, you have that ability to do more things than you ever realize. So that's why it's all important because it coincides with everything you do. Now, if you see yourself one way and you truly believe that's how you're supposed to be, your subconscious mind is going to do everything it can to shift yourself in that direction. So again, that's why it's very important to take a few seconds and sit down and say, okay, what is the person I want to be? And am, am I moving towards that right now? Or am I moving away from it? Or did I just never really stop to think about it and don't know where I'm going? 
the issue here is that, you know, in life, nobody sits there and tells you that your self-image is so important. Unfortunately, we're actually hit with the images that other people have for us all the time. And without realizing it, that self-image gets developed. And it's either positive, negative, or somewhere in between. But you really can control it yourself. But you have to take the time to actually step aside and look inside yourself and say, hey, what is my driving force? What does my self-talk say? Has it been ingrained by other people? Do I see myself negatively? Uh, am I heading in the direction that I want to? And when this all comes together, you'll see that when you don't have this vision of yourself, that's when self-doubt creeps in. And that self-doubt can easily switch that good image you may, or maybe that good image that you're creating of yourself, and it can just completely throw you off track, kill your motivation, sabotage any chances you have at achieving that person you want to be. And that might be also a goal that you have. Same thing happens. If you don't visualize yourself achieving that goal and self-doubt creeps in and you're going to sit there and wonder, why am I not motivated? Why can't I do this or that? Well, it's that subconscious mind and that self-image doesn't see you fulfilling that. Therefore, it's going to not do the things that it needs to do to get there. So that's why it's so important to have that visualization in the beginning. Now, the other thing to remember is that we're always in motion. We're constantly changing. Yeah, these might be minor changes, but how we view ourselves too should always be kind of a under construction process, making little tweaks, minor changes, things like that. Because as we do more in life and we learn more and we experience more, then yeah, maybe the person you want to be is going to be a little bit different. I mean, generally, the core of a person is still the same, but you know, you might want to have some different offshoot goals or just things change as far as what you want to achieve in your career, you know, maybe even as far as weight loss or exercise goes, maybe you realize, hey, you know, I just want to be healthy. You know, don't worry about losing X amount of pounds or being X amount of percent body fat, just healthy and getting good reports when you go to the doctor. So, I mean, all of these are goals, but they're also things that can change with our self-image. So no matter where you are in your own growth process or self-improvement, you still need to evaluate on a regular basis to help keep yourself focused on what you want to accomplish. And we call these many things. We call them setting goals. Um, we call them self-evaluation. But the bottom line is that we have to have awareness, self-awareness. And with that self-awareness comes the self-image. And that could give us good self-esteem or low self-esteem. And obviously, if you've got good self-esteem, you're going to accomplish more of your goals than if you have low self-esteem, because with the low self-esteem is the self-doubt. So whatever we can do to support ourselves and increase our self-esteem, self-confidence, self-image, all of these things together means we're going to be more successful. And unfortunately, we've got so much outside influence that is negative that you do have to sit and reprogram your brain for a positive light of yourself and things that you're doing. You may have heard the phrase before, like attracts like. And when you feel your self-image or your self-esteem or what you want to accomplish, you actually radiate or emit a certain energy that helps pull other people towards you 
that have the same goals. Everything likes to travel through the path of least resistance, and that same thing holds true for what we want to accomplish. Somehow different things come about. I mean, I'm sure you've had it happen where you say, wow, how did that happen? And that must have happened for a reason. And you know, these are all things where your universe is kind of pulling towards you what you're thinking about and what you want most and what kind of energy you're putting out there, whether it's good or bad. Hopefully from this little kind of introduction into self-image, you understand how important it is to actually stop and write down how you see yourself, you know, what you want to be, what your goals are, super long-term, short-term, whatever the case may be, but they all coincide together. So you can sit there and say, okay, who do I want to be? Who do I feel I am? And what do I want to accomplish? Now, something else that's a useful tool is write down what you've accomplished already. You know, give yourself the pat on the back for those things that you've already accomplished that you feel are worthwhile. It's important to acknowledge your successes, big or small, to strengthen your self-image. And in doing this, you will be strong and powerful and achieve more in less time. Of course, you'll be more strong and powerful if you go listen to Strong and Powerful. But anyways, if you need some help getting started on viewing yourself, because I know it's not always the easiest thing, I'm going to give you some little sentence starters that should help you fill in the blanks. The easiest way to start viewing yourself and your qualities is to start with a sentence such as, I like who I am because, and then you can add on to that, I feel good about my whatever accomplishments. Um, I like who I am because I think I'm pretty good at this thing or that thing, or I really enjoy doing this thing and that thing. So your view of yourself doesn't have to be that you're great at everything. It could just be that, you know what, I'm a person that likes to go for walks. That's who I am. I'm a person that likes to exercise. That's who I am. Um, I'm a person who likes to read. All these things might seem small, but they'll start to add up and it'll all make sense in the end because you can take a big picture and say, oh, okay, yeah, these things that I'm doing right now are in agreement with who I view myself as, or these are not. I mean, maybe you view yourself as somebody who is very health oriented, but right now you're not doing anything for your health. So you're going to realize that, oh, that's not coinciding. That's not really going to work together. So I need to make some changes in some of these activities or add some activities to make myself coincide with the way I see myself. I know it's a little hard to explain, but it makes sense when you start thinking about it as far as how your mind wants to work together with your subconscious, your conscious, and your body. And sometimes putting things on paper just makes it so much easier to see. So once you begin to form your self-image in the light that pushes you towards what you want most, then things fall into place and are a lot easier to do or schedule or achieve. It just everything flows almost as if it was part of this master plan that just is supposed to go in that direction. So then, of course, life is a little bit easier. And isn't that what it's all about? Believe it or not, the lengthy section of this podcast is going to be the training part, so we're going to go ahead and knock out the nutrition right now, which is still talking about carbs, and carbs always get such a bad rap, and they're so important for getting lean or just having the energy to work out. Um, when I'm doing my diet plans for people, I separate carbs into two categories, the fibrous 
carbs and the starchy carbs. So starchy carbs being your potatoes and your yams and your rice. And yes, people get to eat that stuff. Um, and your fibrous carbs are your leafy green vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, whatever else kind of vegetable that's, that's green. Now there's two areas where I think carbs get confused or maybe people get confused about carbs and one is from reading a lot of magazines and things like that a lot of times people think that carb timing intake is the most important thing uh, you have to have carbs at certain times of the day for certain effects to happen and in general that's if you're training several times a day you know if you were training for olympic sports or um, some really intense type of i don't know what kind of meats would be like that but anyways most of us aren't doing that so it doesn't really matter the important thing is getting quality carbs and getting them spread throughout the day. And how do you do that? It goes right back down to that three meals and two or three snacks um, eating throughout the day. So your meals are always a little bit bigger than your snacks and they should also include some carbs. Uh, the most important thing is your meals should have protein, fibrous carb, and starchy carbs and a little bit of fat should be balanced out a little bit of everything so when you're balanced out that way there's no way that any one component can overshadow the other so you're not having a ton of carbs and almost no protein because you just can't eat that way if you're trying to balance it all out on your plate and that's another thing where you get into measuring things after a while yeah you can look at it and say oh that's probably three or four ounces but in the beginning take the time to measure it because you want to learn what the right portion size is. So carbs are very important, especially to help your body regenerate and for your muscles to actually grow. And remember, muscles growing are, is important. I'm not sure of the grammar on that one. But your muscles are important because those are your metabolism. And we're not talking big bulky muscles, we're just talking muscle tissue, which is tight and tone and takes up less space than fat. So, you know, to everyone out there that's like, ooh, I don't want to grow muscle. Yes, you do want to grow muscle because you want your metabolism raising, raging all the time so you don't have to worry about what you eat. And again, not bulky muscles. So carbs, not a bad thing. And remember, combining them with that fibrous carb is going to change the way that they're actually processed in your body, so making it a lot better than just having a starchy carb all by itself without anything else. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, but suffice to say that you want those balanced meals. And then your snacks could be any of the above. It could be a fat and a protein. It could be a carb and a protein, carb and a fat. Um, but the thing is that they're smaller and they're in between the meals and you're always making healthy choices with them, right? Um, something I'm coming out with that I've had a lot of interest in the past, it's just that in the last four or five years I haven't had time to do anything, and now I do, yay, is um, some webinar, seminar type things on nutrition, on stuff like this. How do I figure out what I'm supposed to eat? How many calories? How many grams of protein? Um, what should I eat when I go out? What kind of things can I have if I want to have something sweet or cheat? Um, I see I don't really believe in a cheat day. Because if you're eating right all the time, you're not going to get cravings and things like that. So if you want to have a little bit of something, you can. Um, if you get to a point where you're really craving something and you want to binge on something, then there's a couple other issues there. Either you're not getting the right nutrients and your body's craving them and it's forcing you to overeat. Or there's something more in that self-image that's driving you to that. So again, those all go hand in hand. But yeah, that's coming up. I'm excited about that. So in the meantime... 
continue to give me those questions about nutrition and whether it's carbs or different types of foods, what's good, what's bad. Anyways, whatever the case may be, it's really helpful when I go to put together the podcast to really kind of reflect on your questions and answer them. All right, finally, on to training, the most fun part, I think, for most of you. Um, This particular section could be called a lot of different things. It could be harmful exercises that you should avoid. could be terrifying gym exercises, part two. Um, It could even be, what the heck, why are we still doing that? So anyways, we're going to go over three different, well, two are exercises and one is not. Actually, they're all different. One's an exercise, one's a machine, and one's a thing. So we're going to go over three things that you should be avoiding. Um, the first one we, I think we touched on before, squatting. Okay, squatting to 90 degrees or with your thighs parallel to the floor. That's something that you've heard probably. Um, you may have heard it as gospel, maybe not. Um, that was an actual staple in the olden days, back in the 70s. Um, but it's not really true. It actually does more harm than good. And unfortunately, I've seen so many trainers, and I'm not really talking personal trainers because they're usually on the ball with the current um, training information, but uh, trainers in the sense of high school athletes, um, college athletes, and even some pros I've seen still holding this to be true. And we've known for years, and I mean since probably the 80s, that squatting to 90 degrees is not where you want to be. Did I say 90 degrees or 9? Well, I meant 90. Anyways. We know that that's not what you want to do. And for a lot of people that say, well, I can't go lower than that. Well, you're not flexible enough and you need to work on your flexibility because you're actually harming your knees. You are really putting a lot of excessive stress on your knees. Now, I also found two sites while I was researching some of this stuff because I wanted to look for an appropriate picture of the knee so you could see how the ligaments and stuff like that work. Um, And I'll put those two websites in the show notes because I thought they were pretty cool as far as the information they had, uh, not only for like rehab, but just in how the anatomy works and how things, you know, work the way they do. And you can see when you look at the knee, when it bends, that if it only bends to that 90 degree point, or you're only squatting down to that 90 degree point, you can see where all the force is going right there to the top of the knee. Whereas when you go all the way down, getting your butt down towards your heels, you can see that, okay, yeah, now the weight is back here on your butt and on your glutes and not on your knee. And that's what it's all about. That's why squatting to 90 degrees or parallel to the floor is not a good thing. You put all the sheer force right onto your knee. And when you look at the picture and you see how small those ligaments are holding the knee in the right place, you'll wonder how anybody that has squatted thigh parallel to the floor hasn't walked away with injuries. I mean, I know I used to do it too because we didn't know anything else, you know, but um, knock on some wood, I've never had issues with my knee. But it did take me quite a while to get flexible enough to go all the way down with the butt down towards the heels pretty close and you know obviously back up again. But it's kind of, I don't want to say humiliating, but it's um, definitely uh, something when you go from doing really, really heavy weight in that parallel to the floor squat to trying to do a full squat, a real squat. Um, Going rock bottom you cannot use nearly as much weight, but that's okay because you're working 
so much more. You're getting hamstrings, you're getting glutes, you're getting quads, and you're not stressing the knee joint, the ligaments. Um, when it comes actually to the knee, the most unstable degree or angle is 90 degrees. And that's where those ligaments are stressed, stressed the most. Um, and they even test like that when you injure your knee, they do like a 90 degree test. So it's just one of those things you don't want to have to deal with and do when you know better. Now, your hamstrings are the things that help to stabilize your knee. That's why we always talk about balancing your training between the hamstring and the quad because your hamstring is just as important, if not more important, than your quadriceps when it comes to the safety of your knees and the health of your hips, too. So the answer is do not go to 90 degree squat. Do not squat thigh parallel to the floor. Aim for going all the way down through a full range of motion because going below parallel is actually gonna engage those glutes and hamstrings and help stabilize your knee and put you at much less risk of any injury. And that means not just only in the gym, but also outside of the gym where most injuries happen because if your joint and ligaments and all that are weak because they're not doing the right thing, you're just basically a time bomb waiting to go off as far as an injury goes. So what do you do instead? Well, you increase your flexibility and that means not only in the hips and in the quads and in the hamstrings, but in your ankles as well because ankle flexion is one of the biggest things that stops people from going rock bottom. So maybe change your focus in your routine to strengthening the hamstrings and then focus, focusing on the stretching, especially of the glutes. They tend to be very tight on a lot of people. And that's something else you'll find that uh, training the hamstrings and training the glutes are a lot harder than just doing squats and leg press. Uh, so things like deadlifts, uh, the lying leg curl, one-legged deadlifts, split squats, lunges, all those kind of fun exercises you love to do, uh, just so that you can get to that full rock bottom squat, which uses less weight than you're using now. I know it doesn't sound like a really fun thing, but it really is in the sense that you're doing so much more, not only for your, your knees, but your body, your core's working harder, uh, you're staying more balanced so you don't have injuries, and you're definitely boosting more of the metabolism because you're working those large muscles. And again, that's what it's all about, getting that metabolism up there so that you can have your cake and eat it too. All right, so number two is the Smith machine. And since we're talking about squats and many people do squats on the Smith machine, uh, that's definitely the best way to segue into this. Um, there's a lot of reasons to avoid using the Smith machine. And I do have some jokes with my clients about it because they're always like, well, can we go do that one? And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's plain and simple. Um, there's actually so many reasons that I found other than the ones that I just actually know of that I'm going to actually do that in the next episode. We'll go over all of those different things because, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, so I was going to say in my notes I had written that, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time I don't put my clients on the Smith machine. And then I realized, no, it's really 100% of the time. Um, so, yeah. But right now we're going to stick to the regular format here as far as, you know, let's explain some things and tell you what to do instead. So let's see. Smith machines. Well, they're designed to go up and down. The bar can only go vertically. It's on slides. So a lot of people think it's a safer thing to do. Well, it's got its own potential hazards on many levels, too. 
The Smith machine is actually designed to restrict your movement. So your body has to adapt to the piece of equipment. It doesn't go through its normal range of motion because it's being forced into the range of motion of that machine. And in doing that, put your body in an unnatural position. Now, the way I wrote out my notes, I kind of wrote it out so that you'll see that this causes the next thing and this causes the next thing. So by restriction in the movement and the design of the actual machine, it causes your body to be forced into the adaptation of that piece of equipment and that causes your body to be put into an unnatural position and that causes unrealistic movement pattern and an unnatural range of motion and usually not a full range of motion either. And when you don't exercise in a full range of motion or the proper range of motion, you don't develop the movement patterns that we use every single day and that we use in sports. So especially if you like to do weekend sports, you know, you're really putting yourself at risk. It also takes away the areas of balance and coordination because you know, you're already balanced by the machines, do it all for you. And of course, some sense of skill and with balance and coordination, you end up losing some of the stability and mobility also. So that causes weaker core and stabilizer muscles. So we're not just talking about abdominals, we're talking about lower back, we're talking about some of the smaller muscles around the, the knee joint, we're talking about shoulders, rotator cuffs, uh, back muscles, I mean, just everything that does anything to stabilize. And that is one of the things that I'll go into more on that uh, episode just on Smith Machine um, because there's a lot involved with the muscles that are more complex than you might even think of at the time you're grabbing that machine. Although it sounds great that all you have to do is focus on the movement, you don't have to work on stabilizing, well it's kind of a bad thing because since you don't need to control the bar, it makes for, yes, a more stable movement, but turning those off is not healthy or practical or, well, really doesn't have any good use in life. And that causes muscle imbalance, which can cause problems in your joints. Turning off your glutes and hamstrings when you're doing a squat is putting all that stress on the knee. Even, though, even if you're going below 90 degrees, you're still putting all the stress on your knees because the glutes and hamstrings are the things that were stabilizing you. So you, know, you throw out one thing and get into something even worse. And of course, that causes, and we could do this all day, <laughs> seriously, because um, it all keeps going down and down as far as that little cascade of potential for injury. Um, so we'll go ahead and skip ahead to one other area that's a different level. Um, but you can see how kind of bad it would be for most exercises for your body. The other thing to consider is that, you know, everybody thinks it's completely safe because it's got the guides and it's got uh, the racks built in and the pins and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it re in reality, it's more or potentially more dangerous than free weights because let's say that you fail while doing a repetition. Well, if you're squatting, you can usually drop the bar behind you. If you're benching, you can slide all the weights to one side or the other unless you've put collars on them, which really you shouldn't do if you're using a long bar. Um, just for that reason. If you do get it stuck on you, you can lean one way and dump it enough to at least push it off your chest and not kill yourself. Um, but if you're doing that on a Smith machine and let's say you miss the pin because you're in between or you can't get it high enough to get it on there um, or whatever the reason is, that puts you into that very dangerous position. You can't dump the weight from side to side. So you definitely want to make sure you have a spotter if you're doing anything heavy on there. 
And that's also why it scares the heck out of me when I see people doing the vertical leg press on there. I mean, again, obviously we know now from everything I just told you, it's not really going to be that helpful anyway. And you've just got your feet on this bar that has a lot of weight. I don't, it just doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, there is a potential danger in that more so than free weights. So I hope I didn't just crush your world with the Smith machine. Um, yeah, if you don't have any alternative, then maybe once every couple of months, you could throw it into um, an exercise routine. But I would really stick just with the free weights. You know, maybe you can't get the barbell on your back for squats, but you can use dumbbells. And there's so many other things that are just as good, well, actually better, and don't have that potential harm. So that leads us to what do I do instead of the Smith machine? Well, you do some real exercises. You stick to your classic barbell exercises and free weights, dumbbells. Um, yes, you're going to not be able to use as much weight, but you're going to get better results because you're working more muscles, more stabilizers, and you're going to be so much safer. And remember, most injuries happen outside of the gym. It's from what you're doing in the gym. And those stabilizer muscles are the ones that always go. You know, the rotator cuff, the, the knees, the lower back. I mean, these are all the smaller muscles. And there's a reason why they need to work on all these exercises with the free weights. So it's important that you train those little muscles, not individually, but as a unit, which is how your body works to begin with. You know, your body doesn't work in isolated pieces. It all works together. And that's definitely how you need to approach training. Yeah, so my mouth did get a little dry on that last segment and trying to say Smith machine with a dry mouth is just not easy. Try it. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. If you'd like additional information on these topics and more articles on health, nutrition, and motivation, visit fitnessmakeover.com all-in-one-workout.com or coachkira.com.